Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello and welcome back to another week of American Tennis. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. And uh, dang, I'm, I'm just uh, really glad to be able to do this and I'm glad that we are somewhat normal with our work activities, matches, the training, and all of those things. I just feel like people are getting back to normal. And um, you know how you can tell that, I think, is that the relationships are um, are developing more readily, more rapidly. I think the worst thing about this last two years, folks, just off the cuff here before we get started, the worst thing has been, regardless of the forms of communication we've never had so many forms of communication but we've had never had a bigger um, log jam or a bigger roadblock or a bigger stunt in the relationships um, that that we have that that all of us thrive on and everything and I it's um, <clears throat> it's it's pretty awful but I mean we are lucky we're in a great sport of tennis very quickly they found out that tennis was one of the safest things you could do. But anyway, I think we're back and running and doing pretty darn good here. And um, I wanted to, after that tremendous, tremendous tennis match that we had in the finals of the Australian Open, I wanted to be able to talk about it a little bit. Um, I guess one of the things um, that is underemphasized I, I, you know, the tennis analytics and all of the stuff we do with computers and the measuring the how fast the forehand's going and this stra- this uh, strategy and that strategy, it all got left behind to anybody who watched that match. They, uh, they, you get caught up in the in the courage, this just a plain courage of, of what what went on there. Five and a half hours, and but it it probably I guess. How long was um, Nadal behind? Over four hours he was behind. You know, I mean, if you, if you look at it, for four hours he battled 
uphill, trying to catch up, down two sets to none. You know, that tiebreaker in the second set, usually when players are novice and they're just starting out in their tournaments and things, they um, they flinch once they have a couple tough games and uh, a lot of do-sad games, and a lot of times they are broken. I've always asked my team um, team members, when did you win the match before you won the match? And sometimes they'll say, well, Coach, it was at, at 3-3, we won, the, I won that long game, and then my opponent just sort of lost heart there a little bit. Or, Coach, after that really, really tough first set, uh, that the first of the second set, uh, the opponent put up a fight, but the legs sort of went away. They, You could tell they were getting tired or something like that. But being down two sets to none... I mean, you're talking about having to be 48 points behind minimum, and then or two hours just to maybe catch up. But uh, just the courage and those things were so well seen. I, last night I was watching uh, a, a documentary on Muhammad Ali and his career, and is. Uh, as boastful as he was, um, I'd, what really stood out a lot was the courage, these boxers. And I don't know what's going on with boxing. I don't think many of us could ever name who the heavyweight champion in the world is right now. They've gone gone to this MMA, MMA, whatever, that's martial arts thing, and I guess that's all right. But we all grew, grew up knowing who... Uh, you know, Floyd Patterson was, Rocky Marciano, that's way before most of your times, and um, those things. But definitely that era was, was Muhammad Ali, um, you know, George Foreman, the, the great uh, Joe Frazier, and um, Ken Norton. And all of those, all those boxers, I mean, they were all battling, um, you know, for the heavyweight title, and that was just... Uh, one beating the other, another, and it was just unbelievable the courage and the stamina. Well, Nadal, what he did, uh, I've never been a great, great. I've always respected Nadal. How could you not? With the uh, Grand Slam titles and everything he's done, and uh, I was always a little bit more of a Federer fan, but his heart was on full display, and what he had to do as far as digging down and the courage, and the character, and just, there is no way in the world you can call that type of courage up unless you had been through it a lot. But the training, the character, and all those things had to stand strong. And I heard a quote that he he said afterwards, I don't know if it's true or not, but he, he said, I had to realize that and I had to suffer. Now, I had to suffer for you know the next two hours, the next three hours, and it's just part of what he had to do. So I don't, I don't know, I don't believe we could ever have if we went to abbreviated systems. Um, and I don't want to get off on that. I want to talk about our topic today, but I don't think if we ever went to abbreviated um, systems, no ad scoring, and that uh, tiebreaker. Could I call it? I'll call it jump, junk, a tiebreaker for the third set thing. Uh, I don't know how our kids are ever going to learn the courage that it takes to really be a great player if they're playing an abbreviated system all the time. So anyhow, the program today, only 
the hard earned is well learned. And I wanted to start out by telling a couple stories. Uh, I did camps for golly, for 40 years probably, but 33, primarily when I was at Clemson for the 33 years, I figured I had over 16,000 kids come through my camps, and I never, ever goosed a price up or anything. Anybody that came to my camps, you know that I tried to make it to where the kids from the state of South Carolina and the kids from the state of Georgia and from the small towns could come to the camp, my camp as well. And so I was able to put my... (laughs) that pay for, you know, my bills and my children and things like that. But with all those 16,000 kids, the reason I bring this up is I, I remember I always on the first night I would tell some a couple different stories, but one of them was I would um, tell a story about um, an article that I'd read in, in the back in those, those times. This was a Reader's Digest article or something, and it told it was about the value of hard work and this young boy was telling the story well he's older at the time but he was telling the story about when I was a young boy he said I I know that I wanted a bicycle more than anything else in the world and they had this beautiful beautiful bicycle that was in the store um, the hardware store the bicycle store it was in the window and I had to walk by there every day home from school and I uh, wanted that bike in the worst way, and uh, the bike cost $26, if you could imagine that. So this was had to have been back in the 1950s or something like that, but $26. And he uh, said to his parents, I really, really want the bike. And he said, well, you're going to have to, or my father said, you're going to have to earn the money to do this. And uh, so back in those days, as uh, some of you know, but I, I certainly remember this too, that if you would mow a lawn, you would get 25 cents or 50 cents. Uh, imagine that. So he said, I went to work on mowing lawns, and I was able to save only 25 of the 50 cents. My mother always made me put half of it back in the bank for my education. So I'd, four lawns would be a dollar, and he said, I worked pretty much all that summer. to, And I at the end of the summer, I had $11.00. At eleven dollars, and and uh, at, that was the whole summer. Then the winter came, and I was able to shovel snow. And when I shoveled snow, I got a quarter. And uh, you know that winter, I I got up to something like fifteen dollars. Well, it didn't look like I was ever going to get the bike, and it, I'd been working for nearly a, a year. And he, you can see where this story is going. He said after a year. I um, I really was just so disheartened. I didn't think I was ever going to get the bike. And my parents said, no, you're going to have to earn the money for this. And so I, I was about ready to give up. But he said, my grandfather lived on a farm. And my my grandfather said, look, if you will help us bail hay and you'll work here five hours a day, we we can give you a dollar a day. And he said, holy cow. He says, that was the... Uh, the breakthrough that I needed. So I needed 11 more dollars or 12 more dollars. So I worked nearly two weeks on the farm and I got a dollar a day. Finally, I had the $26 and I could not tell you what it meant to me to take that that running, get the jar of money that I had and running all the way down 
to the hardware store, and I got to the hardware store, and I go, oh, my gosh, the, the bike was gone. And he says, after this entire year, now the bike's gone. And he, he goes in the store, and he said, Mr. Jones, Mr. Jones, who was running the store, he says, the bike, the bike, it's gone, it's gone. I've been saving, I've been working for a year to get it. Mr. Jones said, whoa, 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 now wait a minute, wait a minute. Look, I've got the bike in the back. It wasn't selling, so I put it in the back. And I've been able to reduce the price down to $22. And so the boy said, not only did I get the bike for $22, but he says, I was able to get the mud flaps. I was able to get the horn. I was able to get the streamers. I was able to get a fancy fancy lock that i could lock it up i was able to get all you know the reflectors and all of the gadgets that i'd ever dreamed of and that day pedaling that bike home he says i never will forget he says i was riding at home and i turned the corner to where my house was down the street and i saw my friend Johnny. Now Johnny was very wealthy, and Johnny's parents had bought him a brand new Schwinn race bike at Christmas time. And I noticed that it was out in the front yard, in a heap, and it was rusty because Johnny always left it out in the rain. And he said, "I swore I will never, ever, ever, ever not take care of this bike. I will." take care of it, I will shine it, and I will never leave my bike in the rain. And I would tell that story <laughs> at camp. It's the way I usually would lead off camp. And another story that I would tell always was about my friend um, who was on my team, actually uh, Vince, his name Vincent Van Gelderen. Now Vince was, um, he's Dutch, and he still has three tennis academies in the Netherlands. And when he came back after 10 to 15 years, he was an All-American, I think back about 1986 in there, but he came back probably after about 10 years in the mid-90s. And he brought up the story to me. He said, I, I was complimenting him on the three academies. He says, you know, it's really interesting, he said, how some kids are just motivated and other kids are not. He said, he said, and I use this story quite often to try to explain to the kids how important it is for them to do the work on their own. So he said, I had a young young boy that started coming to um, training uh, three days a week for um, about an hour, hour and a half, you know, and his parents would drive him three days a week. When he was 12, well, when he was 15... His parents were tired of doing this, so they he was old enough they got we get, they got him a moped and this is after three years from the time he was twelve to the time he was fifteen uh his parents got tired of driving him so he uh he said the first day that he was driving himself he he showed up about thirty minutes late and i I got. I went over and I said, you know, you're not allowed to be late. Why in the world are you late? Well, the, the young boy said, well, I got lost. And Vince um, said, he asked, he says, well, you've been here probably 500 times. How did you get lost? He said, 
Well, my parents have always brought me before. And Ben said, you know, it was a big revelation that the kids whose parents try to get them to do different things and the parents who push them and the parents who don't allow their children to own a um, their dream, own dreams and their own motivation, it, it's like that. When the kids don't earn it, they don't learn it. And it's the hard-earned is only the well-earned, well-learned. Uh, so he said he's used that over and over and over about you cannot use a GPS with your motivational program. There, Folks, there, if you're a parent especially or if you're a coach and listening out there, there's a great book called The Talent Code. Uh, you need to get this. I've recommended it before. I think it's Stephen Coyle. I think it's Stephen Coyle, Daniel Coyle, or Stephen Coyle, C-O-Y-L-E, The Talent Code. Get this book. The first chapter is all about how people uh, learn skills and or learn things, and the whole thing is about the myelin tissue of the brain. The myelin tissue of the brain is that part that uh, that trains a skill, learns a habit, it's basically the part that is the hard wiring of the brain. And the whole first chapter is says, and this is the most profound thing, says you only learn or people only learn when their brain reaches out and it ser- searches, when they search for the answer. When answers are poured into them, very much like we get just when we go to the Internet and get something up, the message is not hardwired. It does not become hardwired, and, and the kids forget it. I saw, as I mentioned in last week's program, I saw um, this thing called the social dilemma on TV. And uh, I have recommended that to a lot of people recently, and I think as parents we need to see it, as teachers we need to see it, so we can we can really talk to our youngsters, or at least monitor what our kids are doing with their cell phones. The cell phones, they put it this way, the cell phones are competing for the dopamine rush of the brain, the dopamine of the brain. Uh, The kids have, whether it's the little lights flashing, or it's the way that the screen moves, or the way they control it, or the way they talk into it, the alerts, and all these things have been programmed to directly affect the dopamine rush that our youngsters get um, into their into their being or into their brain or their being. But basically, they are hijacking it. And I often have I often have said this on this program and to many many um, parents, teachers, coaches, actually the youngsters as well. I, I would say. You know, when I I know for a fact when I started tennis, it was not for points, it was not for rankings, it was not for the fame of thing, it was the three drugs that I got at my park. Let me finish this. I got three drugs at my park when I was on that tennis courts. I got dopamine, I got adrenaline from competing, the dopamine rush or that pleasure for when you hit the ball well, 
and you learned the adrenaline rush from competing and, and the endorphins from the training. Those were the motivating factors. So whenever you make things easier to pick up, we actually are making them easier to put down. Whenever you give the kids the answers, we actually are giving them, uh, we, are, we are actually keeping them from learning things. Whenever things are made easy, it's, they become easy to pick up, easy to put down, hard to pick up is hard to put down. But whenever we, we, we're doing a great, great disservice to, to the youngsters. The Nadal and Menvedev match, I think I thought the, the ways to describe the character, the, the training it must have taken over the years from, for a long, long time, the suffering the suffering, and it was not about the technical part of the game. Sure, the strokes break down as people get tired and things, but basically it was the heart and the legs and the head. Really, those were the things that had been trained so, so well. One of my favorite quotes, and I have this up in the locker rooms, um, that when I, I coach, it's, it's a it's a quote that I got a very long time ago off of a billboard, actually. Well, one of them is, there's no heavier burden than a great opportunity. But the one that I always remember very, very well is, quality is never an accident. It's always the result of high intention, sincere effort, intelligent direction, and skillful execution. It is never an accident. It's about a result of high intention, seeking out excellence, seeking out greatness, teaching our kids to chase down their very, very, very best. Sincere effort, and that just does, it doesn't mean halfway. It means a great sincere effort where you go through successes, you go through failing, you go through the ups and the downs and the kick arounds of chasing down any dream or anything that's a worthy goal intelligent direction, and skillful execution. So this journey that we, we try to make throughout our lives, it really, one, one of the things that I'm really most afraid of, and I, I don't want to be an alarmist, but I, I really, there is a motivation, um, I don't want to say a slight uh, are different, and everyone who, as you get older, you say, well, that generation doesn't work as hard as we did, and maybe that's true, but I really, really fear this this uh, social network dilemma with with this um, with these cell phones, with these cell phones. We really, really need to understand that that dopamine rush is really, really important. Working for things, working for things hard, where we hold on to the value of what we have accomplished more than the pro just the prize itself. Uh, I always have quoted um, my mother <laughs> absolutely with her her quotes as we walked out the back door. Soap is cheap. Books are free. Never be dirty or dumb. Never take any wood nickels. Everything was about doing doing the right thing. The world promises you buckets of rhinestones, but God gives you the chance to make one diamond with your life. How good is that quote? I think a friend of mine told me that when I was about 40 or so. 
a, a fantastic, fantastic quote. Those rhinestones are out there, and they're so cheap now. Coach Bill Tim, the great Coach Bill Tim, one of the greatest coaches in tennis in history. I think Bill, I don't know where he's at. I think he's in the Tennessee area still probably. But I still remember where I was in probably the early 80s, mid-80s. We were at the National Indoors. I was sitting in the bleachers. We were watching players play. And I remember, you remember great, great quotes. And his great quote was that young people know the price for just about everything, but they know the value of very little. He said until they've done enough work and they've suffered enough to to work towards great great things and great goals. Now, when I talk to young people and I give a talk, I will remind them always that these are learned traits. And the, these are not traits people are born with. I, whether it's your ability to be motivated, just automatic, I think maybe 10 to 15, 20%, you know, uh, if you go nature, nurture, self, I think about 10 to 20% might be motivated. Just they're special people. And I think 10 or 15, 20% of the people can't be motivated. It's just really, really... Uh, it just doesn't work. I think 60% of us, 60% of us, this is a learned trait. We desire achievements, and we want things that make us proud as we go through life. And it's really, the journey is really worth it, because what, after a certain age in our life, and uh, you youngsters listening, it seems like it's going to be forever before you're 55 or 60. But after a certain age, there's really nothing, nothing that has the value of something that you work for and that you're passionate for and that you, you accomplish through passion and through hard work. Those are the only thing, besides your loved ones, Beside a relationship with God, with relationship with your your family, the only things that you will treasure are those things that were hard-earned. Only the hard-earned is really well-learned. Only. There, there's there's um, not not much else that, that really, really matters. But the point is this. These are learned traits. Learned traits. I would like for, if, if you would like to, there's a great, great parable or story, and you can get it on the, the Internet and books and YouTube or whatever, but it's the story of the bamboo tree, the Chinese bamboo tree. And the story, it, it goes this way, that the Chinese bamboo tree, if you plant the seeds, you water them every day a little bit, every day a little bit, every day a little bit, and nothing ever comes up for the first four to four and a half years. And then within a period, I think they said, of 30 to 60 days, that bamboo tree grows 50 to 60 foot tall. And the parable or the story goes that basically nothing shows, nothing shows, nothing shows, because all the work, all of the, all of the watering, or you could say all of the work that one does through their effort goes into the root system. 
it goes into the root system. It grows into the ground. And then when it's time to blossom, it does. So I always tell youngsters that this is a learned trait. And if you got immediate reward, if you got immediate reward from the work that you did, everyone would work hard. Everyone would work hard. But you don't. It's more like the Chinese bamboo tree. You work hard and nothing happens, nothing happens, nothing happens. And then one day, boom, you grow like crazy and it all comes together. And people say, what in the world happened? Well, what happened was there was a year, two years, three years, five years of hard work. And then it all comes together. And and these are just laws of the farm, they call them, or laws of nature that we have to teach our young people. The other thing that I would like for you to think about besides deferred gratification with young people, and they have to learn that. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yard by yard is too darn hard. That if you can do this with other people, it really, really works better. (laughs) Excuse me, work and success is contagious if you work with other people. Because they're, 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 this is true, and this is why I coach. I coach teams, and I coach tennis teams instead of individual tennis players because of the great thing that happens when a group of people work together. And the quote is that no prize, one for self, can compare to the great feeling of accomplishment and pride that is shared in victory among those people who have suffered side by side for a common cause. There is nothing better than working side by side for, for a great and noble cause or a cause in sports in doing it the right way. And then when it comes together, there's absolutely nothing as good. There's nothing as good as that. Whether it's a family working together, a church working together, a team working together, a country working together, the through the patriotism, but people working together for a common cause when things work out after you've suffered side by side, there's there's no prize one for self can compare with that. Inch by inch it's a cinch, yard by yard too darn hard. And the I, I, the today's program, the the whole thing, go back and watch the reaction Nadal after he gets his heart broken. What did he do? Next right thing, the next right thing, the next right thing. Perseverance, persevere, perseverance. All the perseverance with no guarantee that everything was going to work out in the end. No guarantee at all. And it looked like he was going to have to give his best in a losing cause. And that's what most people are afraid of. But he ran to doing his best in giving everything because that's just who he is from the training that he has done. And as I've said many times, if you do that and you lose, it'll be like a broken bone that when it heals, you'll be twice as strong. But if you don't do your best in a losing cause... It's still going to hurt, but it becomes like a disease, this insidious, stupid virus thing we have hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, hanging around, hanging around. 
and it's deadening to our senses, deadening to our emotions, and it's just it's awful. It's pathetic and awful. And what can you say about what it does to the person's person's enthusiasm, a person's you know, if you let it, it it just will take down your motivation. But we can't. You've got we've got to give our best in a winning cause. We've got to give our best in a losing cause. We've got to learn to give our best always. I will be back next week. I'm I'm so glad that I'm able to do the program, and I'm going to continue on. And uh, ten year anniversary coming up for American Tennis very soon. And I uh, wanted to say that always I tell you that you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with a win or a loss. And we will see you next week on American Tennis. God bless everybody. Never buy a tattooed on his lips, I'm spending a little more.